Well, hello everybody. Hope everybody's having a good day. Um, I'm here today with my good friend and brother in Christ, uh, Michael Place. Um, and uh, I just wanted to have Michael on because um, it's been in my heart for a while to, to talk about the subject of why believe, why believe in Jesus, why, why believe in the Christian faith. Um, and a lot of this desire to talk about this has come from a, um, just a place of personally wrestling with faith, I think, as we all do at different times and wrestling with doubts. And then, you know, you have to go and really examine the evidence and the reasons for your beliefs and, and ask the questions of why, why am I believing this thing? Why am I giving my life to this, this ideology, to this belief system? Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I, I wanted Michael to come on today. Um, and, and we're just going to kind of have a, uh, a conversation together, um, about why on more of a personal level, why we believe in Jesus is kind of the main thing. Why, why we, why we follow Jesus over other, uh, religious leaders, why we believe in Christianity over other religious ideas and over belief systems like, like atheism, um, and I know, you know, as we're, we've been making a lot of videos covering this, this group, uh, the WMSCOG, um, which, which if you're not familiar with this group, it's a dangerous, dangerous cult group, honestly, is what it is. Um, and, um, but there's a lot of people coming out of this group and having been impacted by this group. Uh, and they're, they're coming out and they're now confused about faith. They're confused about religion. They're confused about the Bible. They're confused about God. Um, and, and becoming somewhat agnostic in their, in their beliefs, which I say all the time, I can completely sympathize with that. I can't imagine what it'd be like to be spend years of your life giving yourself to this belief system, this organization, uh, this, this doctrine, um, and then to find out after years of investing your life into it, that it's not true. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so I think we're par partially in our hearts. We want to speak into situations like that, whether it's people coming out of the WMSCOG or coming out of any group like that. And you're just, w whatever place you're in, if you're in a place of confusion about, is God real? Is Christianity true? How do you know that? We, I think, um, just want to share our, um, our personal kind of views, our personal testimonies, our personal, uh, the things that we personally kind of have grabbed onto for ourselves that allows us and strengthens us to continue grabbing onto Jesus and to continue, uh, uh giving our lives to him. So, um, yeah, Michael, welcome. Hey, what's um, up, man? I'm hoping that your audio is working. So if you are in the comments, let us know if you're hearing Michael. I don't want to start doing this until we, we know that Michael's voice is coming through. So um, I have Can you done... hear me right now? I hear you good. I just want to make sure everybody else does. Um, so again, if you're in the comments, let us know that you hear Michael because we need to hear Michael. <laughs> And now here's the awkward pause as we wait. Okay, we got a, I can hear him from Astinio. Thank you. Okay, so Michael, um, I think to start, 
it would be helpful maybe to know a little bit about your background and just, just kind of a quick, maybe two minute summary of like where you come from. Do you, do you, do you come from a Christian background? No, I do not. Not at all. Um, no. Do you want me to elaborate on that? Well, elaborate. Yeah. Like what, what is your background? What, what is the background that you come from? So I came from a very messed up family. Uh, father was a heroin addict, a uh, drug addict, needle slammer, um, came from an abusive home. My mom died when I was nine. My dad died when I was 11. Uh, I mean, I was sexually promiscuous by the time I was five or six years old. Um, started doing drugs by the time I was nine. Uh, first time I was arrested and put in jail, I was 14. Uh, lost my virginity at a very, very young age, being 13 or something like that. Um, started doing drugs by the time I was nine years old, um, 17 years old. I gave my life to, to Jesus in a juvenile hall facility. And it was basically as a young, I heard the gospel a couple of times when I was a little kid, just cause I grew up in a small town in Bomber, Alaska. And after my mom and dad died, I moved to California. Um, and I had a religious background, I guess you could say that just cause you know, my mom took us to church very rarely, which was Catholic church, which was very religious in the sense of everything was just traditional. It wasn't, there wasn't any relationship or gathering. It was very um, informal, I guess. Right. But um, yeah, so I heard the gospel for the first time in, when I was 17 in juvenile hall. And uh, that's where my life began to change. And, so, I mean, there's a lot wrong. What there. was it? as you're in juvenile hall after coming from that many years and, and you were how old at that point, did you say? 17, 17. So after 17 years of living and basically the opposite of, of a Christian lifestyle, if you want to call it that, what was it in that moment that was drawing you to actually like honestly consider the gospel and honestly consider Jesus and actually take it seriously in that moment. I think looking, looking back, I can explain it better now. So if I explain it from this, it's cause I'm looking back and not forward. Um, but I was enslaved and, you know, in Romans chapter eight in the Bible, it says that Jesus came to set us free, that we don't have to fear as slaves any longer, but we're adopted as sons into his family, that we become family members of God. Um, children of God. And, you know, when I look back and I recognize how much I was enslaved, whether it was to pornography, to sexual addictions, to drugs, to, um, you know, to being approved by friends and by peers and having to prove myself in a system that was meant to be destroyed. Um, you know, the first time I heard the gospel, uh, you know, it wasn't like, oh, well, here's something else that you can do. Uh, to make yourself feel better about yourself. But here's something that the gospel was that Jesus loves me right where I am and he wants to set me free from my slavery. And I think for me, it was knowing that I knew what the real definition of love was um, because I think it's innate in each one of us that we're, we were created to be loved. Um, but the things that I was chasing after and the things that were offering me love never was able to satisfy me. And, you know, it was the, the love of Jesus Christ and knowing that there's a God in heaven uh, that loves me and wants relationship with me, even while I am a sinner and in rebellion against him with my nature. Hmm. So and if, if I could just say, that. 
So it, it sounds kind of like you're saying like a big part of what was causing you to actually honestly consider the gospel in that moment was just a conviction of sin, a conviction of the reality of sin, the reality of your lostness that, um, I think it sounds like even like it's, it's interesting. And to me, like that serves as a, a great proof and a, a great, um, uh, evidence of the truthfulness, maybe not necessarily of Christianity itself, although I think it is ultimately, but just of the reality of God, when you have people like yourself who are just totally lost in addictions and, and things like that. And there's something in human nature that, that just feels that conviction. Uh, I, th I think most everybody, unless you have like serious psychological, um, issues, you know, you're going to feel, you feel the lostness when you're in that sort of, uh, uh, lifestyle of addiction. And, um, I think just engaging in immorality and things like that. I think human, the human heart knows there's something wrong with that. And it kind of sounds like maybe that's what you're saying was happening with you in that moment where you, you were just aware of, you are aware of sin, this reality of sin. Yeah, pick, pick your flavor. I mean, if, if you really want to think about it, what are you going to clothe yourself in? When you go back to the beginning, when God created Adam and Eve, in the beginning when sin entered into humanity, um, they clothed themselves with fig leaves and tried to hide from God, and they picked fig leaves. It's like, what do you want to pick your flavor for? You know, how do you want to hide yourself? Whether you want good works, whether you want, you know, just, hey, I'm just going to rebel like Cain and become a murderer and kill Abel. Um, you know, I'm not going to try anymore. I'm going to, I'm going to totally, I'm just going to head into rebellion, you know, cause I know that this is, there's a system that's messed up. Yeah. Um, you know, pick, pick your flavor. For me, it was, it was conviction of sin of realizing that I was enslaved, that not only, not only was I a sinner, but I was enslaved. Like I, there was nothing I could do. I was incapable of myself to set me free. Yeah. It was God breaking into my life and setting me free that made me the person I am today, because I mean, let's just be honest, I would be dead in prison or had committed suicide by now. Hmm. And believe me, I had attempted it before. You, so you had, I had had a gun in my head. Okay. Huh? You had attempted suicide. Then. Yeah. I never actually went full throttle with it, but it was, it, I was in, I've been in my room with a gun in yeah. my hand and, and had thought about pulling the trigger before. Hmm. So, yeah. So we have a, a question. Uh, somebody asked, how did your family take the news? that you, you believed in the gospel when you made that decision, what, what, uh, how did your family respond to that? Cause they were an unbelieving family, right? They're still, for the most part, my family's unbelieving. Um, so like I said, mom and dad died when I was nine and 11. My older brother, uh, is four years older than me and he is currently in a sober living home three years sober. Uh, he's 31 or something. So he spent a lot of his life in prison. Um, and we have a good relationship now. And um, as to my aunt and uncle, so when, when I always was a ward of, ward of the state, which basically just means the state owned me or had control over me, but my aunt had taken us in. Um, and uh, But I lived in a pretty messed up home. I mean, drugs from top of family members to, um, to incest. I mean, it was, my family was messed up. So when I became a Christian, it became the idea that I was a religious fanatic okay, and uh, that it was just going to be a phase. It was just going to be a phase basically that was just going to pass by. Um, so but to be honest with you, uh, saddens me, but um, my family and I do not have uh, the best relationship with each other. It's not on my part. I just, 
put that out there. I w- I'd love to have a relationship with my family. But, um, yep. So talk like the, I'm not, not like being in the middle East where they would kill me. Yeah. Not that kind of persecution. So the, yeah. it was the kind of the conviction of sin that brought you into receiving that. So what, what were the, um, let me see how to ask this. I guess like what did, was your experience in relation to sin when you did start to receive Jesus? Like what, did you notice a change? Was there a change? I mean, and I know there was, we've talked before and I know there's ups and downs uh, of your faith like there is with anybody, but I guess maybe just speaking like from that, thinking from that time to where you're at now, I guess just speaking to like the, the benefits of following Jesus, what that's done in your life in relation to how you were, you were in sin before and you, you talked, you were use words, I think like enslaved and in bondage. And so compare like what Jesus has done, how, where you're at now compared to then. Well, I guess I, I want to kind of go back and look at, um, you know, when I first came to Christ, it wasn't because I knew my theology. I had all my ducks, you know, together and figured out. Um, it was it was because I, I, I wanted to be loved. I mean, everyone wants to be loved. Everyone's looking for something, you know, whether it's the people that are in this movement, um, this cult, uh, you know, they want to be loved. They're looking for approval. They're looking to be approved. And I think we all are. We're trying to right. find some kind of approval, some kind of um, somebody to give us a, a pat on the back. And, yep. and, and we're all looking, we're all looking for God, you know, God we're looking too, for right? That. Yeah, I mean, what, I think within the human heart, there's yeah. this intuitive yeah. knowledge of God. Yeah. It takes effort to remove ourselves from the reality of God. Like if somebody becomes, I don't, I personally don't hold to, I always believed in God, even as a little kid, not growing up in a Christian home, like, you know, I look into the sky. You have to convince me, you have to make a an argument against god in order for me to believe it but i think it's um and i think there's testimony and evidence throughout creation clearly that uh that there is a god and that all of creation was created to believe in god that's why there's sacrifices human sacrifices child sacrifices animal sacrifices being done in more than two-thirds of the world um it's just been recently through our western civilization with a lot of our philosophers um and sociologists have try to reason our way out of having to be held accountable for our sin. Um, so I guess starting at the foundation, like we're all looking to be loved, but you know, the question for me is whether or not I think I can earn my love or whether love is a free gift. Yep. Um, and that doesn't mean, I think our, our terminology of love in a culture that's, you know, broken the boundaries from just nature, from the laws of nature itself tries to redefine and corrupt that idea of what love is. Um, so I do want to make sure I just put that out yeah. there because love, love is not a con- love is not an excuse to remain in sin. Love is something that exposes truth and says, look, this is truth, but I love you and want to rescue you from it. You know, somebody like, like for me and my, my wife and I, we have a heart for uh, child sex trafficking and people who are in satanic ritual abuse um, being abused through satanic rituals and mind control and different things like that. And, um, you know, and, and, you know, to, to say we love those people and to, to not have a heart to rescue them out of it, it's kind of like 
talk with no action. Um, so love is something, love is an action. The word agape in, in the Greek um, is actually an action verb. It literally means I'm doing something for, um, for love. So I don't know if that yeah. even was going anywhere. With that. <laughs> <laughs> it went somewhere. Well, something that you kind of touched on and maybe uh, kind of what it would be good to do throughout this video is maybe kind of set up a few like key points that basically would be the, just some like clear uh, uh, distinguished points of why we believe as we're in the midst of having this conversation. I think maybe we're touching on one of those, which was, uh, well, we kind of touched on two, but but let's just right now is, is just the, the concept that comes out of, I think, Romans chapter one of creation itself testifies and Romans one and two and, and the, the conviction, God's law that is written on the human heart. And so, um, yeah, which kind of touches on what you're speaking into with your testimony. And so this, this honestly, to me, the, this, this stands as a good, uh, one of the main points of like why I continue to believe in God. And I think as we're having this conversation, we are kind of talking about why ultimately why we believe in Jesus because we're following Jesus we're not just following any you know religion but it's Jesus who we're convinced of it's Jesus who we continue to seek to give our lives to but i think before we we try to encourage people and explain why we believe in Jesus i think first maybe establishing um why we believe in God in the first place like why why we believe that there's even a God as opposed to uh, atheism um, and, and the ideas of atheism or even agnosticism that that maybe there's a God but we don't really know and so having said that I think Romans 1 is is speaks into one of the the, the key reasons I would say I continue as as uh, I continue to get older as I continue to have experiences in life I look around in the world and I believe I see within creation itself evidence of a creator. Um, it's it's easier for me. It, it would be much harder for me to rest my mind on the belief that this everything in existence, everything I wake up and look around and see in reality, um, it's, it would be much harder for me to believe that that all is the result of a random accident, like this random chaotic explosion uh, that happened, uh, you know, millions and billions of years ago, the, uh, this accident that just re were the result of a random, uh, uh, unplanned, unguided chance. chance. Yeah. This process, like we're just here by accident. Um, I, I look around at reality and I have a hard time believing that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's self-defeating in its, in, in its essence to say that everything's random. Well, then why are we studying and trying to figure things out? Because it, then it's just random. So right. it defeats itself at its core, yep. basically meaning why are you talking to me and why am I talking to you? And why are people listening yeah, right. if there's not purpose? It is. So it is a bit baffling when you like hear, I mean, th this gets a little bit into, I think what you'd call presuppositional apologetics, which I think, you know, there's debates about whether that's a good approach to apologetics. I think there's really good aspects of it um, that, um, uh, yeah, are really helpful and really clarifying to this issue. But kind of like what you're getting at is it, it, it baffles me a little bit when I see atheists arguing for truth or for um, uh, e even willing to when go into debates. It. When they like enter into debates, it seems like they're making a statement by entering into a debate that they're, they're opposing their own worldview by entering that debate. By debating. And so, can yeah. maybe explain that? Like, why are we saying that? Like, why, why would we say something like that? Yeah, so 
so for me, I just say there's four typical things, origin, meaning, purpose, and destiny. And, you know, if you can answer those four questions with your worldview and bring them all to correspond within each other and to be coherent within each other, then you've got a worldview that's conducive. But if you don't have an origin, so let's take the evolutionary view of creation, yep. uh, which is in itself, sorry, evolutionary view of creation. It's like you've, I've heard evolutionists say that, so it's just funny, but um, let's just take the evolutionary view. So the origin is random. So then what's your meaning? Uh, what's the meaning of what's the meaning of creation or evolution? Well, it doesn't mean anything. So what's the purpose of it? Well, it doesn't mean anything. And what's the destiny of it? Well, it doesn't mean anything. It has no answers. So if atheism and agnosticism doesn't solve any of the very four key elements of all of life for us, then what what's the purpose? Why are we arguing about it if it doesn't mean anything? If origin means nothing, if meaning means nothing, if purpose means nothing, if destiny means nothing, then it means nothing. Why are you talking about it? Why are you trying to argue right. me about my origin, meaning, purpose, and destiny? If it doesn't mean anything, yeah. it makes up. Yep. Leave me alone. Let me believe what I want to believe. Why are you picking on me? Yep. It doesn't make any sense to me. So this so, and this kind of gets into, I think, probably what would fit into the category of what I would say is one of the the second um, point we could maybe make. That's this is this really gets into what is one of the the strongest evidences for me as I continue to believe that God is there is a God is just looking around at, again, at reality and seeing the existence of absolute moral standards. I, I look around and I see the existence of the reality of things like love and, and, and this universal acknowledgement that love is a real, it's a real thing. And it, it's like the key, uh, uh, the, the highest uh, thing to pursue. Uh, uh, and that's a cross-cultural uh belief in many ways. And so the existence of absolute moral standards, the existence of, of true um, meaning, purpose, uh, uh, of there actually being meaning and significance to human life, things like this that I think atheism, a belief like atheism, um, or any belief that doesn't have room for God in it, I, I just, I guess I don't understand how there's any basis for any of those things. If atheism is true, then what that means is that there is no God, there was no purpose in this creation, we, there's no purpose in our existence, we actually are just the result of, um, we're, we're just dirt and and uh, random... Uh, uh, random acts of atoms just clashing together. Yeah, we're just <laughs> chemical reactions that are going on in our brains right now. Um, and so, um, yeah, I think to me, as I've wrestled with faith, um, I come back to that often. I think, man, like I, if I, if I left the Christian faith, if I left faith in God, let's, I guess we'll just stay there for now. Faith in God. I, I feel like I have to, at the same time, abandon any real solid objective foundation Reality. for having, yeah, for having moral standards, for having meaning and actual purpose and significance in life and even being able to look at other people as having value and, and objective value and, and having things like love being like a, a, a meaningful pursuit rather than just uh, an opinion. So, yeah. So, so I would, I would look at it and say, you know, the thing that I think angers God more than anything um, 
is the denial of him being creator. You know, it'd be like telling the painter, uh, you know, telling Picasso that uh, that painting created itself. And it, it's basically like nullifying the creator. I think for me, the, the, the foundational thing is there's four basic beliefs. There's atheism, there's pantheism, there's theism, and deism. Deism is that God basically, you know, the, the, there's this being created the world, wound it up, and left it to be and let it play out itself. A lot of scientists today are reluctantly moving in that direction because there's too much intelligent yep. evidence that, that I mean, even Richard Dawkins, who's the one of the, the leading atheists of the modern atheism, basically has said, I'm not technically an atheist, I'm 99.9% agno- I'm uh, an atheist, but I'm leaving 1% because of the possibility. He's actually, um, he's proposed the idea of intelligent beings, alien life that have, you know, far exceeded creation that it's called panspermia. It's this idea of seeding life on earth and whatnot. Yeah, and it came around in the 1950s. I mentioned that <clears throat> somewhat, that, I think that was in the documentary Expelled where he was being interviewed and he mentioned the, the possibility of that. And it was kind of a humorous moment almost in that because it's, it just goes to show oftentimes people, I think people that obviously are angry like him, you just see an anger toward God um, coming out of yeah. his heart. And, uh, and he grew up a Christian. Okay. And then just the, the fact that they're willing to resort to any other intelligent design theory, as long as it's not, the Christian God. Um, it, it seems like there's sort of a bias there, but, uh, yeah, and I, I would even go, I'd step out. I mean, clearly I'm a Christian and I believe Jesus died for my sins and rose again, but I would step out and say, even just a moral God, one who holds you accountable right. for your sin. Um, and you know, in Romans chapter one, it says they, they know the truth, but they suppress the truth and unrighteousness and, and ungodliness. And it's the idea basically of, you know, the universal law of God that's written on every human heart. I mean, whether or not, whether you're in Timbuktu or wherever, the testimony of lying, of stealing, of adulterating, um, all of those things are innately engrafted within each of God's creation. And I think that that's where I was trying to get at before is, is uh, to, to make a clear distinction and a separation between creator and created. It is very important to do that because there are a lot of views like atheism and you have pantheism, which is the idea that we're all God and everything is God. And then you have the idea of deism, which is a lot of where our, our, our scientists today are going, even though they don't want to, they have to acknowledge it because they can't hide behind the evidence because other people are doing research now. There's a lot of peer review research out there. Then you have theism, which is the belief um, that there is a God that is creator of all things. He's completely distinct and separate from creation. Um, He is not within it. He's outside of it, but he's involved in it because he loves it. And then that breaks up between the three monotheistic religions, which is Christianity, Islam, and and Judaism. Um, And so when you break those three down, that's kind of not to get into that whole section, but when you break that down. Um, that for me, theism is the only coherent thing that makes sense because I'm fallen and I, I've sinned against God. I know that my conscience bears witness against me, as it says, the law of God bears witness against me. Yep. So, and you're aware of that 
And it sounds like <clears throat> your child in the background is, is aware of that too, maybe. <laughs> I don't teach my kid to tell the truth. I don't have to teach my kid to lie. I have to teach my kid to tell the truth. Yeah, right. <laughs> they know it too. <laughs> and it sounds like you got to teach them to want to go to bed at bedtime maybe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Unfortunately, you can hear them. I've oh, got three no, that's little fine. ones. That's fine. You can hear mine sometimes in the background. It's, <clears throat> that's great. But yeah, I think – so let me – I'm going to kind of take a position – of, of, I think, a preemptively knowing how some people would respond to this. Some people who don't believe in God would make the argument that I don't have to believe in God to be a moral person. Like, I, I, I try to be a good person. I try to love people. I try to, um, I don't believe in God, but I try to do good to others. I try to love my neighbor as myself and apply these virtuous standards. And I try to live by that standard in my life. So how can you, how can you stand there and say, you can't have morality apart from the existence of God. Oh, my question is, is what's, what's the purpose of you being a good person? If you don't believe in God, why be a good person? Yeah. And where do you get your definite, where's the origin of your definition of good? Like what happens if I say that I'm good and you say that you're good, but my definition of good is different than your good. So I think that it's okay to, you know, to sacrifice babies because it's good. And you don't think it's okay. okay. And so now what happens when my my good or my standard of righteousness begins to invade your standard of righteousness? If there's not an absolute supreme moral law that governs all of creation, um, you know, it's it's easy to 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 pull from if there's an absolute moral law, then there's gotta be an absolute moral law giver. It's presuppositional evangelism, but the idea is basically that if so, if, if you, Jordan, believe in your standard of righteousness and I believe in my standard of righteousness, you go ahead and do whatever you think is good in your eyes and I go ahead and think whatever is good in my eyes. But what happens if, you know, I think, um, you know, it's good for me to have, and I don't mean this in disrespect because you're my brother in Christ, but, um, you know, your wife as my wife. Mm-hmm. Now what happened? That's good for me. I mean, it benefits my benefits carnality. You, yeah. and my, I, I enjoy it. You know, and what, what happens at that point? Then you think, well, that's not good. So basically what, basically what you're getting at. And you kill me. Yeah. <laughs> no, never. Basically what you're getting at is, is back to the fact that there has to be an objective moral standard to be basing your moral values on. So it, uh, obviously an, athe- an atheist, somebody who does not believe in God, could sit here with us and say, well, I – I don't believe in God yet. I try to live a moral life. I try to do good to others. I try to even live by the standards, many of the standards that Jesus taught. And they would say, and so again, the question I posed was, so how can you say you can't have morality without God? The response to that is basically that I, I we acknowledge that yes, as an unbeliever in God, as somebody who believes there is no God, you can still live a moral life. But the point is, you can't have an objective basis for those those morals. You can't you can't stand in any in any way in confidence that you actually are living a moral life because what is morality? What um, you you can't have the things you're doing that you're saying are moral standards. You have no basis for them for doing them um, because, like you're saying, there's people like Jeffrey Dahmer um, or or uh, you know just psychotic murderers who. In their eyes, they're doing what they want to do, what they think is going to fulfill their life. Um, some would argue, you know, you go to a cannibalistic society where they're doing what they think is morally right to do. Um, and so 
you, as, as an atheist, you would have no basis to look at them and say, you're living in a moral way while they're living in an immoral way. Um, so basically, ultimately, yes, you can live in a certain way what that you think is moral, that you think is right, that you think is good, but ultimately, there's no objective basis for calling that good or bad. You can't, you, you couldn't look even, even at like a, an example would be what you just brought up. Like you come and you steal my wife away and run off with her as an atheist. You have no basis. I only use them because it's personal. Yeah. So right. I hate my wife hates it when I use personal. Personal. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, just as it's, it's a good example though, to, to, to show that like uh, as an atheist, you, I, I feel as far as I can perceive and understand of what atheism is, there's no way to objectively, confidently say that is wrong. That is evil. That's bad. You should not do that. Um, and to me, that's why I, when, when, I, when I think and consider this issue, I see this as a, a strong evidence for God. Because I see in rea universally, 99.9% of people would look at that. And if you ask them, is that a right or a wrong moral action? They would say that's wrong. Um, and so I believe that points to the fact that there is an actual objective moral standard. And in order for the, there to be an objective moral standard, there must be somebody who has set up that standard. And who could have set up that standard other than God? Um, so, and I think, Michael, you're... Oh, there you came back. You froze up for a minute. but So, did you get all that? Yeah, I think... Are you, uh, are yeah, you hearing my dog heard, in the background? Um, yeah. Okay. I heard a bark. Can you hear my kid? I don't hear your kids anymore, but now my dog's wanting attention, so. Um, you know, I think it, it's it's difficult because here we're arguing about something that's built into our, our to our spirit, to our, the very condition of who we are. And we're trying to argue, and I'm just taking a step back because I love apologetics, and I think that they help. But if, if we really, if we're willing, God searches the secrets of man's heart. He tests every human heart. And I think for me, like, I just want to, I want to be careful, but mm -hmm. I want to be respectful and loving. But I don't, I don't, I don't really have to convince somebody right. to, to believe in God. I believe it's written on their heart. Yep. And I, I just want to be careful because it's, people are, are afraid now because they're, they've been deceived and people have been deceived. You go to college, university, and a lot of Christians get argued out of the faith because they're getting hit by antagonistic people who hate God. But if, if you just do a little bit deeper of a, sorry, my kid's getting, you're good. Um, I can still hear you. <laughs> okay. Um, um, you know, you have to get argued out of, out of believing in the existence of God. It's not something that, that, uh, it's not something that happens naturally, if I could put it that yep. way. And and so I, I guess I want to be careful because for me, it's like anyone that's listening to this, you and I, we all know the conviction of the Holy Spirit. They're being convicted. I'm being convicted. Yep. I don't have to argue that. We can try it. We can try and convince it. But like there's conviction on people's human hearts. And I can understand why people want to suppress it because you are accountable to God. We are accountable to God. And God is a holy God. And that's something that I think we all innately know. Um and so for me, it's not, it's not, 
it's not something that needs its evidence yes. within creation. Yeah, I think ultimately nobody's nobody's argued into the kingdom on on evidences. I think it it ultimately is something that people come into the kingdom um, based on. Uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit, like you're saying. And, and yes, that is, God is testifying. And, and like Jesus said, my father is always working. My father's always working. God's always working. And I think he's working on every person in his own way to point them to himself, to draw them to himself, to say, uh, I am the way, look to me, trust in me. And, and ultimately, people come into the kingdom by responding to that by responding to that conviction by hum, like the bible is constantly talking about humble the humble the humble versus those who are prideful and in proverbs it talks about wisdom versus folly the way of wisdom versus folly and foolishness is is something that rises up in the heart that ultimately results in a person saying there is no god you know and the psalms talk about the fool says in his heart there is no god so Ultimately, this is this is like you're saying. I think this comes down to a heart issue. It's not an intellectual issue. There are intellectual. There's information that I think is good and helpful and necessary. But ultimately, um, I think this information really what it, it it's helpful to do. Hopefully, is just to kind of clear out some of the arguments that are in the way of you submitting your heart to God. Because um, because we we are all going through different circumstances. We're having different. Um, uh, experiences that we have to respond to as human beings and decide, how am I going to respond to this? And ultimately, what am I going to do with God in the midst of this circumstance? So I experience, you know, people experience a variety of trials and, and you know, children that they, they lose children that d- maybe die and uh, the parents that die with cancer, or they're abused or things that happen that are hard, terrible, confusing situations. And, and, and we have to decide in the midst of that, in the midst of even, you know, not even just, just trials and tragedies like that, but just coming across uh, arguments against the existence of God, coming across information uh, that's that's in the world on the Internet and things that we come across that push against the belief in God. And, and I think God, the knowledge of him is still in the midst of all those things is intuitively within the human heart and ultimately it comes down to a decision of the heart of what what are you going to do with God in the midst of those experiences? How are you going to respond to God in the midst of these things? And so I think maybe like you're saying, it does, it does come down to a heart decision. You can't argue people into belief by, um, by apologetics. Yeah. I think apologetics helps and people, and again, I think apologetics can remove many obstacles but ultimately, it does come down to those obstacles are removed so that people can submit their heart to God. or whatever um and you know i named josh mcdowell uh and he's a he wrote a, a, a book called evidence uh that demands a verdict and um you know plenty of different books out there but he was a he was a hardcore atheist in in uh in college and um you know for me for somebody who wants who wants to disprove 
Christianity at its core, what you need to do is you need to take out the resurrection because my faith banks on Jesus rising from the dead. Like that is. Right. Yep. Yep. And yep, exactly. And that's, that's actually, um, oops, I think I might've had you muted for that part. Let me see here. Sorry, man. <laughs> My kids are kind of mad. No, you're. They're not being. You're good. This is all this this live streaming stuff is new to me, so it's it's all good. But no, actually, that that's kind of getting at the next point I wanted to bring across. And so right now, I think what we've we've talked about, and kind of set up is, and I know that this isn't an exhaustive uh, uh, set of points to heart to heart. Yeah, this this isn't an exhaustive set of points to uh, prove the existence of God, uh, but but I think what we've talked about right now is just just to kind of recap is the two points we brought up of why we believe in God, why I continue to believe in God, just on the evidential basis as a person, as a human being, who both of us I think struggle with faith at times, and we have to look. I do think this is where apologetics is helpful because you have to look to these things to grab onto to decide is this something that is really valid that I should and will continue to give my life to. The two things we've talked about that I think as far as the existence of God that we grab onto is, one is we look around at creation and we see complexity, we see design. Um, just the simple analogy like you brought up, if you look at a painting, this immaculate, well done painting, it would be insanity to say, well that, you know, there's a warehouse, it has some boards and some canvas in it and there's some like, there's some acrylic paints in there and somebody threw a stick of dynamite and it blew up and then, you know, we left it there for a million years and then it, you know, turned into, turned into Picasso's artwork. Yeah. Um, 47. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's a simple analogy of why I look around at just human beings, just, just the, the, the emotions that you see in other people and the, the, the art that people create, just, I, it's impossible for me to look around at, at the, the world we see and to say it was an accident. And so that, that's one of the points we brought up is just the complexity, the clear design in nature. I think that's a solid thing. If you're struggling with faith, if you're questioning is, is faith in God worth continuing in? Is this valid? Grab onto that. That's, that's, that's something that I've, uh, I think is, is a really good thing to grab onto and really clear and it's biblical. It goes back to Romans one, um, that we see in creation. God's created everything to that in it, it, everything in creation declares his invisible attributes, his, his, uh, uh I can't remember how exactly it says that, but his divine nature. divine nature. Yes. And so we see within creation, we learn and it's speaking without, without vocal words, but creation is speaking about, the reality of love, the reality of justice, the reality of goodness, the reality of truth. I believe we see that in creation. Um, and then the second thing is kind of along with that. It's just the second thing to grab onto if you're struggling and questioning faith in God is just the, the existence of absolute moral standards, the existence of meaning, the existence of things like justice. Um, is, there, is there actually real good and bad? Or are those just... Um, human-made concepts that are ultimately just rooted in opinions and, and societal norms and your, your upbringing? Um, or are there actually objective standards of right and wrong? And when we say objective, maybe we haven't made this super clear, but when we, I say objective moral standards, what I mean is that they apply universally. They apply 
all over at all times. So it, it's the question of, is murder, if I selfishly murder a person for no reason, just simply for my pleasure, is that always wrong? Absolutely. No matter where you're at in the world, or is it dependent on, well, what, what, what's your, uh, what country are you in? What, what's, what are the laws there? What's the society like there? Is that something that's permissible there? Um, and I think only with the existence of God can you have those absolute standards where you can confidently, dogmatically say murdering for fun is wrong everywhere at all times, independent of how you're, you were brought up or, or, or what society you're in. Yeah, well, I would even take a step further than that and saying, well, let's say if I say I don't murder and, you know, I compare myself to the standard of somebody who has murdered and say I'm better than that person. Well, ultimately, let's just be honest. Let's look at our heart and say, well, what what kind of righteousness is that? That's a self-righteousness and that's a condemnation of another person. And so I'm putting myself in a higher view than somebody else. So that makes me what? Better at being God than somebody else. So I ultimately exalt myself and debase somebody else because of their view and my view. So I'm able to exalt myself. And that is essentially being God. There's one God and he is the creator of everything. And he is high and lifted up and he alone is holy. He alone is worthy. He alone is righteous. He alone is just. He alone has the standard that we're all barred by, that we all are measured by. And if I if I align myself and judge myself according to his standard, I fall short of that. Hmm. But if I judge myself according to your standard, I might be better than you and I might be worse off than you. And depending on that, I think I'm better than you. And so now we're in a comparison uh, war between each other as to who's better. Yep. And at that point, then what happens? And that means either I'm God because you're not and you're worse off than me, or that means you're God and I'm not. So either I submit to you as God or you submit to me as God. And then we have a bunch of little gods and yep. kingdoms running around. And that just brings destruction on the earth because that's what we have right now going on in communist China or in you know, communist North Korea. And it's like, you know, what's his name? I can't remember. North Korea guy. He claims to be God. Yeah. He has Kim, yeah, Kim Chuin and Xi or whatever. He has people setting up posters and bowing down to bow, bow down to him as God. And it's like, okay, well now he's the standard of who God is. And I mean, to be honest with you, he's not a very good standard of who God is to me. So think? I'm just being, you know, I'm, I'm being, I'm not trying to be, yeah. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but it's like, so so if I say you're a murderer and you've murdered and I say it's wrong to murder, now what am I doing? I'm exalting myself higher than you're, you're you exalting and I'm pushing you down. You, you're exalting yourself as the standard of right and wrong. And what that comes yes. back to is the fact that, well, then what what's your basis for that? You know, as exactly. as atheist Michael <laughs> um, playing that part, like what what's your standard? Like how can you say to me that it's wrong? And so – so yeah, I think those are those are kind of the two points that we can speak to as far as like what what are good things to grab onto. Actually, just personally speaking, personally again, these are things that I consistently grab onto as like I to to reject and 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 to walk away from God. I I think requires also abandoning these things. It it, it causes you to have to you can't reject the the concept and the belief in God, but grab and hold on to and still carry out um, the belief that you have. There's this objective moral standard that applies to everybody. There is actual right and wrong, and there's actual significance and value and meaning to your life. Because ultimately, if you reject the idea of God, then you have to, the, the naturalism seems to be one of the only 
options um, and unless you just kind of embrace this I don't know we can't ever know anything sort of idea and there's a name for that but but uh agnosticism yeah yeah and so yeah I think you have to have God in order to continue on with a life that that maintains the belief in objective moral standards where you can say there is real right there is real wrong in the world there's real meaning there's real value and significance to life there's actual purpose and destiny on people's lives and to, to throw God away, I think you have to, it, re, it would require, if I threw God away, I, I've seen that it would require me to throw that away, that part of my, my life as well. Yeah, I would even go to say, you know, because we're talking about sin and throwing these things away. And, you know, the, the thing that God, the creator of the universe, hates the most is pride. And, you know, God, who alone is exalted um, you know, he's the creator of all things by him. The scriptures say he upholds all things by the word of his power. That if it, in the book of Job, it says if God desired to, he would call his spirit back and it, all of creation would disintegrate. It would literally burn up to nothingness. Hmm. And so God upholds everything. Um, and so taking a step back, that means that there's only one who's worthy and one who is high and lifted up and one who has the right to be proud of his creation. And yet, that God entered into creation, became a man, humbled himself. Scripture says in Philippians that Jesus, being God, did not equ- count equality with something or with God to be grasped, but he emptied himself of that divine, not emptied himself, but he set himself apart or he submitted himself to his heavenly father and took upon the form of a, of a human being, clothed himself in the likeness of sinful flesh. And instead of condemning the world that he created, he went to the cross and was condemned for the world that he created so that we would have the free gift of salvation in him alone. And so for me, you know, the, the most, it would make sense to me if I was God and I did that, which is completely contrary to every religious philosophy or even philosophy in and of itself, because it removes the boasting of human flesh. And, you know, scripture says, he who boasts, let him boast in me, Jesus says. And who Jesus is, Jesus said, you know, it would be pretty arrogant for Jesus, not being God to say, you know, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And all these things, these statements, declarative statements that Jesus made. So I would say, as I look at that and say, you know, the thing that God hates the most is pride. And we say, oh, well, you know, murder or stealing or robbing or having sex outside of marriage or all these things. And it's like, those are all outside expressions of the human heart when you look at the heart it's pride when you look at the heart it's self-exaltation when you look at that well i'm i don't need god and i'm good okay well you just failed at being good because now you're exalting yourself now you're building yourself you're not humbling yourself you're not coming as a servant you're not demonstrating you know humility what you're doing and i'm not saying that not every atheist doesn't do that but yeah. just the confession of that to me is is proud is it's arrogance when somebody says oh i'm better i don't need god and i'm a good person that's like no you're not you know that's, your heart that's the exp- <laughs> that's the expression really of proverbs i mean it and it sounds uh, maybe uh, um uh, evangelical and hardcore and conservative but but i think it is the expression of a heart that's saying that the foolish heart that the Bible describes, it says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That, I think, ultimately, a heart that is saying that is rejecting God, a heart that is saying, I don't believe in God, what, whatever on the outside you might be 
putting as your reasoning. I've, I've seen recent deconversion stories by like popular Christians, popular YouTube people that used to follow Jesus. And I get like, I can sympathize with so many of the things they say with so many of the struggles, with so many of the things that have ultimately led them to abandon faith. But I do believe at the end of the day, a heart that says, I don't believe in God. I don't want God. That's ultimately not an intellectual decision that's being based ultimately on the evidence you see. It's being based on a heart decision of pride, I believe. And, and I'm, I don't think I'm just, I'm not just saying that on my own basis. I'm saying that based on what I think the scriptures tell us about the human heart and, and what it does and how if God has truly revealed himself in creation, as he says, either Romans 1 is true or it's not. Either, either creation is testifying, Romans 1 and 2, either creation and the moral conscience of the human heart is testifying of the existence, the reality of God, or it's not. I just simply believe it is. It's true. And so I think if that's the case, then when people make a decision to abandon faith in God entirely, that's a that's a decision of the heart. That's a decision that I think ultimately is rooted in pride and, and a a a uh, a decision of of disobedience really to the Creator. Well, and I would I agree a hundred percent. I would even say you know Scripture says that you'll know them by their fruits. So you watch somebody who abandons their faith, and then you just watch what they do. Yep. I mean, just just look at their life and the fruit of their life. It's like, okay, so you're saying, well, I don't, ah, this God stuff wasn't really for me, and it worked for a little bit, and I'll go on. But then go look at their morality. Go look at what the condition of their heart is, and you know, you'll know them by their fruit. All will know that all the one that Jesus says, all will know that you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. And the proper definition of love gives you the proper definition of what the fruit is. And you watch somebody who abandons their faith, and then you watch the characteristics of their life. You know, a lot of people, I'm not trying to disrespect any of these guys or anything, but you watch what they do. They leave their children. You know, a recent guy, I don't want to name any names, but, you know, the, the daughter wants to commit suicide. The husband left the wife and he can he he walked away from his faith. And now it's like now you have a suicidal daughter. You have a wife yep. that's left with nothing. You have a, a family that's broken and shattered and you have no definition. And you run away from the very definition of morality that gives you the, the comfort and the security, the safety, the refuge and, that you have. And I think too, you, you run away from in that situation, like you, why is that person leaving his marriage and leaving his family? Well, I think because when you abandon God, there's an awareness that you're, you, you're, you're now free. And I'm saying free in quotes because it's not really freedom, but you're now free from having to be restricted by, morality by moral standards of right and wrong by your consciousness of of god and judgment and justice and right and wrong and so it frees you to think that now i can i can abandon faithfulness to my wife i can abandon being a good father um, i don't have to commit myself to those things and now i can be free to do what i want and and i do want to i do sin yeah Sin, and I, I do want to point out though I know that I don't want to whitewash every situation as something yeah. like this because I know even some of the recent deconversion stories of people who have been in faith for years of their life for you know decades of their life and now they've left. I know that like you can look at some of their fruit, and I don't think you're gonna in, in every situation necessarily see them. You know, the, the, some of the people that I'm thinking of right now that have recently deconverted 
and are now professing they do not believe in God, they're remaining in their marriages. They're remaining, they're still trying to be good fathers and husbands. And, um, and, uh, and so I know there's those situations. I think what I would say to those is that's, that's good. Like it's, it's good that they're not just diving head headlong into sin. And I get that. This goes back to, again, we know that just because you don't believe in God doesn't mean you can't live a moral life. That's not our, that's not what we're saying. But what I would say is, What's confusing to me in those situations is I have to ask the question, why? Why are you remaining faithful? Like, why, what's the basis? What's the what's the real root reason why you have decided to continue to try to be a faithful husband or a good father? Like, and ultimately, yes, there might be many reasons why they would say, well, this is why, because it makes my life more fulfilled or because, because I, I think this is, whatever the reason might be, I think ultimately they cannot have an objective reason an absolute standard, uh, any real uh, meaning behind that decision. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, there's a scripture that comes to mind. It's in Second Peter chapter 2. Um, it talks about the rise of false prophets and, you know, those who deny, um, deny Jesus. Yep. And it says, you know, these are springs without water and mist, mist driven by a storm. Hmm for whom the black darkness has been reserved, for speaking out arrogant words of vanity they entice by fleshly desires, by sensuality, those who barely escape from the ones who live in error, promising them freedom while they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by what a man is overcome, by that, by this he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world by the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, that they are again entangled in them and are overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. Hmm. For it would have not; it would have been better for them to have known to have not known the way of righteousness than having known it and to turn away from the holy commandment handed on to them. It happened to them according to the true proverb: a dog returns to its vomit. And so after washing returns to wallowing in its mire. Hmm. And this is where for me, heart conversion is so important because I can give somebody a set of rules and regulations and that will feed their flesh to make them feel good about what they do. And, you know, if, if let's say I join, you know, Wimscock or join, you know, Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses and everything, and you give me these rules that I can do, bam, 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 I'll fulfill it. That's going to lead me to transgress. It's going to lead me to secrecy. It's going to lead me to secret sins. It's going to, and I just, I, I would even make a blanket statement across the board almost that would lead either whether it's pride, whether it's gaining approval, whether it's climbing the ladder of success, whether it's that it's not, it's not a humility of servanthood. You know, Jesus says, Jesus being the creator of the world says, I did not come into the world to be served. I came into the world to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. And the creator entered into creation in order to save creation back to himself to be in fellowship, to restore creation, to restore fellowship with the creator again, which was lost in the beginning when Adam and Eve fell and transgressed by the rebellious angel, um, you know, Satan. And when that took place, that broke fellowship from God, death entered in, physical death entered into creation. And I think, um, you know, that, that, and then you had the sacrifices and you had all these things that began to take place and, you, you know, you then you get the law and, you know, the Bible says in Romans chapter four, the law was added to show the transgression of the human heart. And, you know, it was a tutor for us to come to Christ, to recognize we needed a savior. We were not capable of being able to fulfill righteousness on our own. And so for me, that's the human heart 
that's when the Bible says God wants to give us a new heart. So it becomes this relationship now that we have fellowship. There were re- God is ruler and judge and king and sovereign over us, which he is, all those things. But now he's Abba. He's father. He's daddy. He gets to become, we get to enter into a relationship of love with our creator. And just, I mean, it's so simple, but everything, like it says, all of creation, the invisible attributes and divine qualities of God testify against each of us. You know, what father being evil would give, you know, when a child asks for bread, would give him a snake instead to bite him, a viper to bite him. And that's just evil. That's pure wickedness. I mean, anyone in any culture would recognize that's twisted up and messed up, dude. Yep. I love my children. My kid is my kid. I'm not, I have three kiddos. I love them. They disobey and I discipline my children, but they are my children. I love my children. There's nothing that's, their, their obedience or disobedience is not going to separate them from me being daddy to them. I'm daddy. And I'm always going to be daddy to my kids. Hmm. They're mine. Now, the neighbor, the kid down the street is not my kid. And I'm not going to hurt him, but I'm not snaking that statement, but I'm just, I'm not going to give them a, I wouldn't even give them a snake if they asked for a piece of bread. But it's that simple. Like, like it's just innate within us that, you know, we don't, we're not created to, evil is the absence. It's not, evil isn't even a substance. It's the absence of what is good. It's just, I mean, it's so simple. When you think of like my shirt here, it's a shirt. Well, what's a hole? It's the ab- it's the absence of the material that's there. What's rust on a car? It's the absence of the material that's there. That's what evil is. Evil is the absence of what should be. We know what right is. When you remove, when you when you input evil, evil is just the absence of what should be there. Wait, does that make sense? So yeah, for me, like I know I know not to give my kid a snake. If I give my kid a snake and that hurts my kid, that that is giving them the absence of what I know should be there. My kid, it's created within, it's all creation testifies against my kid. My kid needs food or else my kid's going to die. And that, if I give my kid a snake, go ahead. Sorry. Well, no, I know I'm, I, sorry. <laughs> no, it kind of just makes me think of, you know, Genesis, Genesis one, back to the beginning of, of God came into this, there's darkness and voidness. And this really was the absence of God. I think that was happening within creation there and and there's there's different opinions about that but i think rebellion and the fall of satan and sin pride had entered into creation and and what was happening in the earth that that the fact that it was formless and void and darkness covered it was the fact that god had cast satan and the fallen angels there as a judgment and and had withdrawn himself the interesting thing is that then he created man and he said go and rule and subdue and fill the earth so he was using image bearers of men to go back and fill this absence of himself and he was using partners in human beings to do that. And so, yeah, that's, this may be a, a side point, but it is interesting. And, and I think it, no, does, that's good. it speaks back to the, the point that, yeah, intuitively we know that there's a God, we know there's morals. And, and uh, I, I think it'd be good though, to, to kind of, to, to finish this off is to get into kind of what you're touching on. So this, what we've talked about so far is basically just that there is a God and the reasons we believe that two, two simple reasons, I think uh, that we've elaborated on, but I think to go further than that, just to talk about um, uh, Jesus real quick, just to kind of finish this off with the, 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 the evidence of the resurrection that ultimately we know there's a God. Well, what do we do with that? Where do we go from there? Could I say something right before that? Sure. Just real quick. It's just a, a uh, yeah, go for it. Just a little nugget that, you know, it's funny when you study, you know, as a pre-apologetic, um, 
you know, just studying ancient origin and you look at like, like what we're taught today, we miss out on a lot of our history. And, you know, it says those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And, uh, you know, it's funny with what, what's going on where we've been. So, so if you just take, let's just take the flood Genesis chapter six, and you go to any ancient civilization and all of, all of humanity, whether it's Tibetans, whether it's China, whether it's, you know, the Koreans or the native Americans, or you go anywhere in all of Samaria or anywhere, you go anywhere, all of creation, they all have a testimony of the blood. And you go back and you start, you watch how, how God or the definition of God begins to evolve. I hate using that word, but it begins to evolve. That word's been hijacked, so. Yeah, it has, it it has. But it begins to progress forward. There you go, it's better. Progress forward. You go back down to it, and there was always this omnipotent God. Like, if you just go study the Chinese language, it'll blow you away. Prior to 5th century, when Buddha entered in and Confucius entered in and all these different things, all, all of creation has the same story. And then when God divided the nations, Genesis chapter 10, which is such a testimony of the Bible, but when God divided the nations and they were spread across because of what happened during the Tower of Babel when Nimrod and all of creation basically unified to build this this Tower of Babel, and you look at that, that's when it starts getting pretty muddy. You can just track that down just studying. If you just study ancient mythology and all sorts of, whether it's to the Greeks or, you know, through any 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 mythology, Egyptian mythology. I mean, you can just go look on Egyptian hieroglyphics in Egypt, and it tells the story, dude. I'm serious. It tells the story of creation. It'll blow you away. So what I'm trying to say as a pre-apologetic to all of that is like creation literally testifies of who God is. We've just marred it because we make God in our own image rather than allowing God to be God and us to be made in his image. We want to make God in our own image. Yep. And that's what exalts us. And so, for instance, I was want to go real quick. I was going to say this earlier. Um, you know, even in looking at modern day atheism. So you watch the move of, you know, when evolution came in during the 1850s, which I would just make a statement. I know this is kind of my whenever I talk with somebody about evolution, I always ask them, are they racist? And they usually would say no. But I always say, well, do you understand that the whole doctrine of evolution was based upon the premise of uh, of racism? If you read Actually, the book, Origin of Species by Means of Natural Selection or by Preservation of Favored Races, that's the total title of the book of Charles Darwin. His whole summation of evolution is based upon his racism and his sexism. He was a sexist. He thought women were worthless. And he was a racist. And he thought that the the white race was the supreme race. Um, so that's how he formulated his view of evolution. If you, he, I'm serious. Just go read or, or go read The Descent of Man. Yeah which is his book that he also wrote that he talks about that kind of stuff that it's worse, you know, it'd be better to be a, a black man than to have a woman as a wife. Basically he makes that statement in the descent of the Okay. But to cover that, so you look at the origin of how evolution came into the Western civilization through Immanuel Kant and these guys, and you look at that and then you watch the buildup of it. And then, so you have secularism during the 1960s, during the sexual revolution where it was like, Hey, free sex for all, blah, 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 blah. That breaks out. And then you get into naturalism and everything's, you know, in, you know, everything needs to be imperial, imperialically viewed. I don't know how to say that word, but imperially viewed um, and tested within a, t- a, te- a test tube. And now you look at it and now now we're in like parallel universes with our science and quantum, quantum mechanics and quantum physics and all this different stuff. And it's like essentially our science has been mythologized and emotionalized to believe in this to belief in the spiritual realm. 
we just call it science now because we don't understand how photons work. We don't understand how subatomic particles work. The leading scientists of, in, of, of quantum physicists and stuff say, we know it's true. We just don't know anything about it, basically. And really, it's because you're looking at a spiritual world that we live in that has just now been called science because we're testing it in the labs. But you even look at that, you look at now we're moving from humanism to transhumanism. So what we're doing essentially with our with our science today is we're going from, it's called humanism, which was like the 1980s and everything. Now we're moving into this idea of transhumanism, which is this idea of evolving beyond humanity into something like called God, where, you know, a lot of the transhumanists are saying, you know, in the next 30 years, we're going to be able to live forever. You know, in the next 30 years, we're going to be immortal. In the next 30 years, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And we'll be traveling the galaxies. We'll be going to different planets. We'll be doing all this. I'm not, this is not, this is like mainstream, you know, you can go look at Brookings University and read some of the articles from these main lawyers and what they're like hypothesizing what it's going to look like in the years from now with our modern technology and stuff. And so it's like, humanism is not the answer. What's happening is humanism is moving to what's called transhumanism. And it's a new definition of what humanity will be in the future, because we're not satisfied with humanism and atheism we're not satisfied there we need something better and that's always going to be that so i just i want to put that out there i know i, I ran on the little tangent so um so it's not an end-all be-all type of thing okay. with humanism okay so we have um we do have a couple comments that i'd hope to get to but i will maybe save those to the end um so we can finish up um, and then we'll try to get to a, a couple comments and see if any more come in but if you have questions or comments um, then go ahead and put those in now and we'll see if we can answer a couple at the end. Um, the, the last thing I think would be, let's, let's just, uh, the kind of wrap this up. I just want to ask and talk about real quick, why Jesus? Why believe in Jesus? Okay. If we establish that there is a God, okay. Why do we go from that to, to saying Jesus is the way to follow? He's the only way he's the one to follow. And, and why, I guess even just on a personal level, why, are we, I'm asking both of us, why are we continuing to give our lives as a pursuit uh, of, of discipleship of Jesus Christ? The crucifixion and the resurrection. Well, Jesus died for my sins, and either I have to pay for my own sins or somebody else is going to have to pay for them. There has to be a sacrifice. And what's going to be, what, what's a worthy sacrifice? If man has to pay for his own sins, but man is a sinner, then he's held condemned against, his own, against himself. So he can never fully, he can never fully requit himself of his condemnation. And so a lot of people, you know, it's funny, I talk with, just backtracking a little bit, a lot of my friends that are atheists, because I have friends that are atheists, and, you know, when I have heart-to-heart -heart conversations with them, they live with guilt. Deep down in their heart, they live with guilt and shame, things that they don't ever want to talk about with anyone that they, they struggle with and that they hate themselves for, even to the point where I've had conversations with atheists that don't believe in a, in a moral absolute or anything like that, and they've had suicidal tendencies because they recognize the hurt that they've done to other people. And so, um, you know... For me, I believe that because I have I have a supreme law that I, I know governs all of creation that testifies within a heart. So if I live in guilt and I know that I'm I'm in fear of death because I deserve it, 
well, how do I, how am I rescued? Mm. If I have to do it myself, if I have to fulfill the, if I have to fulfill righteousness on my own, I know that I'm never going to get there. I mean, that's I I, I just know it. I can believe. I, I I not only do I believe it, I know it. I know I'll never be able to be righteous in and of myself. I just know it, and I think everyone else does too. In my own opinion, I believe it. Okay. Um, so I think too is is, and I think there's. That's good that you're touching on when you look at the resurrection, you look at um, you look at Jesus, you look at the historicity of it all. But then just what you're giving, I think, would probably fit in the category of a theological evidence, um, because I think there are those when you look at you look at the cross, you look at what it means, you look at Jesus's life and death and resurrection and and what the meaning of that, how that stands in such stark contrast to other world religions, um, the message of the cross in comparison to world religions sounds like it's kind of what you're speaking to. Um, and so maybe on top of that, um, what I think goes, goes, uh, with that as well as the his, just the, the historical evidence of the resurrection, the, um, the, and, and so obviously there's a lot of debate that's been going on for centuries and we're not gonna, we're not gonna answer all those questions, but this is, this is just us, I think more speaking from a personal level, me speaking from a personal point of view of when I, have to consider and come against conflict in my faith, come against doubts. I have to ask the question, okay, again, why am I believing this? You touch on theological reasons, but I think too, what I come to is I think when I look at the historic, the historical facts concerning this man, Jesus, and I think there's like four or five like established and, and agreed upon facts about the death and resurrection of Jesus um, by agreed upon, I say by both uh, theistic exactly. people and, and non-theists, just just uh, um, people from both positions who would agree on th- key facts, and um, and so a couple of those are just like the fact that it's agreed upon that uh, Jesus died on a cross. That's that's pretty well agreed upon as a historical fact. Um, it's it's agreed upon that um, uh, there were appearances of Jesus, what or or. Perceived appearances that there were um, a multitude of people, the disciples believed, truly believed that they saw Jesus uh, resurrect, that he appeared to them. And so there, there's, I guess there's just, when you look, when I've looked into it, when I've looked into the historicity of the, the death of Jesus and the resurrection, I believe there's, there's information that you have to make a decision of what am I going to do with this information? What do I think is the best explanation of it? And Honestly, when I look at it and I examine it, I examine the historical facts about the resurrection. I I just believe that the best explanation of the facts of the data that we have is to say, well, Jesus actually resurrected. Like like the events, uh, uh, even just the event of how Christianity kind of just burst onto the scene and, and um, was spread so rapidly. It's so close to the the resurrection um it it wasn't something that happened like hundreds and hundreds of years later it sort of started to develop but it was something that immediately the these men and women followers of jesus began to proclaim that jesus resurrected and i think when you compare that to one point with that is when you compare that to like like cult groups that we deal with um and and um other religion it seems like they're all based upon the testimony of one man's revelation. You know, it's all based, like you think about Joseph Smith, like Mormonism is, is built upon, everybody's believing this one man 
his revelation, the secret revelation that he had. Um, dealing with this this group we're dealing with today so often, the World Mission Society Church of God, um, who believes that this man, Ong Song Hong, came back in 1948 as second coming Christ. Really, this whole belief system is based upon, uh, I think, their general pastor, uh, Ju Chul Kim, I think is his name. But um, this is one guy who takes these things, he takes these ideas, these concepts, these doctrines, and he runs with it. And he starts, they start to teach other people that, that information. And I think that's often how you see cults are born out of the, the testimony of one person. And, and I think when I, when I look at Christianity and how it started in comparison to that, I see a multitude of people began immediately to testify the same thing. They began to be like independently they would say the same thing about Jesus that he rose again. And so that that to me is stands in stark contrast to the way I, I uh, the cult groups I guess that I've been familiar with that, that I see that they've originated. Um, does that make sense at all? Yeah, not only that, but also you know one of the key elements of, of uh, being in a cult is mind control. And, you know, through condemnation and fear and guilt and manipulation, um, you know, th- those are key elements of what it would be like to be in a cult. And, you know, Scripture is clear. Second Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 9, 10, and 11, Paul gives his defense of being the apostle. Uh, can you hear me still? Yes. Oh, he gives his defense of being an apostle as when he went and preached the gospel to the Corinthian church. And these religious Judaizers came in and they're basically trying to to bring the sheep in and keep them in and condemn them and suppress them and push them down and to oppress them into submission. When Paul says, oh, you know, maybe I sinned because I didn't beat you or I didn't hit you across the face and I didn't, you know, take and rob you of your money and make you do all these things. And he's like, I just came to you and preached, preached the gospel of the power of God. And, and I demonstrated that with miracles and signs and wonders. And now this group is trying to come in, come in and steal you away from fellowship with me by not only are they making me look bad, but they're also oppressing you and beating you and making you have to do these certain things. And so for me, one of the key elements of what a cult would be, would be condemnation, guilt and fear. And if you're in a movement that brings in condemnation, guilt and fear, that doesn't mean you're not preaching the truth and what true righteousness is, but we know what true righteousness is. That's the, you can go back to the Ten Commandments. That's the universal law that governs all of creation or the Noahide law, Genesis chapter eight, that's been produced all throughout creation that God gave to Noah after he destroyed the, the first world. Um, you know, those are, those are clear evidences throughout all things. But if, when you start adding to those things and saying like, this is what you need to do to be saved. And this is what you need to do to be saved. And this is what you need to do to be saved. Then what you do is you put Jesus on the back burner and you put something in front of it. And so Jesus is no longer clearly seen where you're looking at Jesus. When I come to, when I came to faith, it wasn't because I was looking at somebody. I was looking at the face of Jesus and I was looking at his purity in view of my un, my impurity, my unholiness and unrighteousness. And Jesus handed, put his hand out and said, I will redeem you and change your heart and make you into a new creation. Come into my family. And that is where the beginning of my relationship with Jesus began. Now I grow and I I, I become sanctified, but that's based upon my relationship with Jesus. That's not based upon a man and guilt and condemnation. Scripture is clear about that. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you believe you're in Christ Jesus and you're being condemned, well, that's not the spirit of God. 
That's not that's not God's spirit. Scripture clearly says that. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. Once you're born again and you become a new creation, you're a new creation. It's not something you work for. It's not something that you attain. It's something that happens. God gives you the right by believing on Jesus to become a child of God. It's something that's instantaneous. It happens once you believe. So from that, that's got to be the foundation. Being born again is the foundation. So at that point, there's no more condemnation. And that is something supernatural that happens by the Spirit of God when you confess your sins before the Lord and acknowledge Him as Lord. Scripture says if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God raised Him from the dead, we will be saved. That is a simple gospel message that, that creation should hear. Now, when you say, well, if you believe in your heart and confess your mouth that Jesus rose from the dead, you will be saved. But you have to keep Sabbath and you have to you know, keep Passover and you have to do this and you have to do that. And, oh yeah, while you're at it, you can't, you know, wear clothes and no, you can't wear jewelry or you can't listen to this or you can't do that. And, you know, and it's all these trivial things that aren't necessarily definition of what true sin is, which is the heart of the matter, which is pride, arrogance, haughtiness, deception, lies, sorcery, witchcraft, um, you know, these things that are an offense to a holy God, you know, but we're trying to lay regulations and laws that fit people into our circle and make people special. Well, now you get into what a, in what a cult is. Um, you know, the gospel simple. Jesus, not Jesus, Paul tells the Corinthian church when he's talking, I'm afraid for you. I'm afraid for you. What like Eve will be deceived by the cunningness and the craftiness of Satan from the simplicity, simplicity and the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's simple. You're a sinner. You need a savior. You can't save yourself. Jesus came to save you. He's the omnipotent God. There's no beginning to him. There's no end to him. He's everlasting. He created the world. He alone is holy and he alone is separate and distinct from all of creation. And he loves you and he wants to be in relationship with you. So you have to humble your heart, acknowledge your need and come to him by faith and he'll save you. He'll save you. He wants you saved. He doesn't want to condemn you. Jesus didn't enter into the world to condemn you. He entered in the world to save you. So if you think that you've got to earn his salvation, then you're not being saved. You're earning it. Mm-hmm. So then, he, then you're credited what you deserve, not what is what you don't deserve. Yep. Salvation is something that you don't deserve. Yep. Sounds like you just need let loose on the, the WMSCOG for a while. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm just, that's... <laughs> That's what, for me, I mean, that's, no, and that's I think, when you know, what the diamondism. Yeah, know, exactly. I think what that, gotta, what you see within that, what you're describing is the gospel. I mean, that that's the proclamation of the gospel and the, the uniqueness of it. Um, but that, that takes us back to why, again, why Jesus? Why Jesus over Mormonism? Why Jesus, why, why the Christian faith over the WMSCOG faith? And it comes back to the, when you hear and listen to what Jesus said, the reason... I think Jesus stands out is because of what you're describing, because of the uniqueness of his message, because of the, the, you look at Jesus and there's something, I think John, John Piper, if you're, you, you, you know who he is, but if you're familiar with him, he has something that he says that I like, he talks about like, I think he calls it the self-authenticating evidence of Jesus or something like that. And maybe he replies it to the scriptures, but basically it's that when I look at Jesus, when I look at him speaking, when I look at what his message is, I, again, it comes back to, it's easier for me to believe that that's really who he was, that he really was God, than it is for me to believe that this is a man-made, uh, th- this is, this is just the, either he was a lunatic 
or he was a liar, or he really was who he said he was, or he was the invention of the disciples, that they just invented him and they came up with all these wise, uh, wonderful teachings of Jesus and they just kind of put these things in his mouth. Maybe he really didn't say these things. These are all arguments that might be, be either said out loud by people or just maybe arguments that we hear in our own minds against the reality of who Jesus is. But when I see him, when I hear his message, when I hear the message of the gospel that you're describing, it just is unique. And maybe it's hard to understand by, you know, until we submit ourselves to it and the spirit reveals it to us, uh, reveals it to us. But there is, I believe to me, when I consider Jesus, there's a, it's like a, a gravitational pull that the world has to this man, this Jewish man. And there's something, there's something so unique. So I think for lack of better words, it's beautiful about Jesus. The first, uh, and first Peter, Peter kind of talks about the, that Jesus is chosen and he's precious. He's uh, precious in the sight of those who believe to those who believe he becomes this precious invaluable treasure. Um, and so I think when I look and consider who he is, there's just there's no comparison between Jesus and, and like Buddha or, or Muhammad or or Joseph Smith or any other uh, person in history who set themselves up as this uh, this this teacher or prophet of God who they should follow. There's something again self-authenticating about who Jesus is and about what his message is, and the gospel message stands so as in such a unique. Uh, as such a unique message in comparison to any other religion um, and, and any other cult group, what Jesus taught, just just the the core message of the gospel, which is so simple, the fact that it's a free gift, it, it's something like as you've been describing, it's something that we we cannot do on our own. We just receive it. That that in itself is a message that is unique um, and 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 puts Jesus in this position of being unique among any other belief system, any other religious leader. Um, and so, yeah, that's good. I'm glad, I'm glad you pointed that out. And, um, I think maybe to, to kind of finish this out would be to, um, talk about, sorry, I think you, sorry, I think you froze for a minute. Oh, I'm still there. Oh, there you go. You pop back into reality. You were frozen for a minute. Uh, I was going to say, just to, to finish it off, you know, the reason why it's so authenticated, just personally, not on a theological basis or on an evidential basis, but on a personal basis for me, is because to my carnal nature, it's an offense to me because, you know, let's just be honest, we're men, you know. Hey, I don't want your free stuff. I want to work for it. You know, I'm... Hey, you're break you're breaking up a little bit michael like it's it's this can you hear me that's built in us which actually genesis 3 talks about the curse that you got the sword of the brow okay can you hear me i can hear you yeah, a little bit. you're kind of you. breaking up um probably just getting a bad connection for a minute can you hear me yes i can hear you a little bit crackly but there you're you're kind of popping. I can hear you. You're popping back now, so um, we kind of missed a little bit of what you said, but I'm sure it was wonderful. <laughs> I can hear you perfectly fine. Okay, I think there's a pretty big lag on your end. So, oh. um, okay, well, let's. I what I was saying was not a, not a 
the theological yeah, you're still lagging pretty good, so I don't, I don't know why the, the connection just changed for some reason, so. Can you hear me? No, that's better. I just went outside. Okay. What I was going to say was, um, is that better? That's better. What I was going to say was just on a, not on a theological basis or on an evidence basis, but on a personal basis that you know, testifies to me so much is, uh, you know, the gospel to the natural man is an offense and why it's an offense is because it causes us to have to come, come humbly to the Lord and acknowledge our need. Um, you know, acknowledge my need because in, in, in and of myself, I want to work for something, you know, I don't, it's human I don't nature. want, it's human nature. To think it's human nature. That. We, we want to work for something and, 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 whether it's through evolution, I mean, there was the promise, that was the very promise in the beginning is you will not die, but you will become as God. You will evolve, you will grow into God apart from the creator is what Satan promised Adam and Eve in the beginning. Um, and whether it's through that or whether it's through the windscock, you know, you, you, you have to do all these things in order to be saved or you have to, whatever. It's always, um, uh, it's, know, it's the works-based system. It's always like the, the misunderstanding of that salvation justification right relationship with god is based upon something god does plus what you do and yeah and and again when you begin with that like and again this is where i think that we have the division is like there it's not that it works he he loves that you want him he loves that you want to do good there's yep. nothing wrong innately with that it's the thing of recognizing that that is never going to earn you salvation. That's yeah. never going to be what gains merit before a holy God. And that's what the Bible often, says your righteousness. Well, I was going to say that's what often is confused with, with what we say and often confused with the, the message of the gospel, I think, is, is that it's, it's equated to, you know, the idea that salvation is by faith alone as a free gift is often the accusation that comes from that is that, well, that means you can just do yeah, it. You can you want. Yeah, you can live. With, yeah. and, and that's the opposite. We're not saying good works aren't necessary. Um, we're, we're, the, the point is what we always, we always talk about. It's just what, what is the order? Um, what is the order that you're putting those in? Because the order of the Bible and the uniqueness of what Jesus, the message of Jesus is that he put salvation and justification become, they come first. They're, they're the foundation. That's what comes first. That first, before we do anything, before we put forth our efforts or energies or, or commit ourselves to observances, first God justifies us and he says, you're in right relationship with me completely based on my love for you and my grace toward you. And then because of that, yes, we work and yes, we do good things, but it, but it comes as a result of, of, of having that first thing, of having justification righteousness of being already in right relationship with God. And so I think, yeah, that's what often um, religion, other religions, I think that's what makes Jesus unique is that that's the message he proclaims is that he justifies us. Like Romans five says, why we were still sinners, uh, Christ died for us. Ephesians two talks about how, while we were dead, he made us alive. And that's a message of justification and re relationship with God that, that is, um, that can be rightly defined as something that is a gift and it's free. And I don't see a free gift being offered by any other prophet or religion or cult group. And so 
Um, I, so I think let's let's we probably talked on that enough. Let's finish off with one more point I want to cover about Jesus um, that I think makes makes following him unique. And again, I'm just clarifying this isn't like an exhaustive apologetic yeah. like like we're saying this dogmatically proves without a shadow of doubt this is us saying on a personal level what what's yeah. keeping us going as like what 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 are the things that we grab onto that continues to show us that this that christianity following jesus is is really the only way it's the only valid uh worldview that i see um and so i think the last thing um we talked about the evidence i think there's good evidence for uh the historical uh, account of the resurrection. I believe if you look into the history uh, of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, I think when you look at the information, if you look at the the things, the the key points that are agreed upon by both theistic and non-theistic uh, historians, that there's agreed upon facts that uh, that I think when you examine them, to me, the best explanation of those facts is that. Jesus rose from the dead. I think he, that's the thing that explains the data better than anything else. Um, yeah. Uh, and so when you, when you, so that's the first thing I think. The second thing we've talked about is um, what, what was that you're describing? We're describing, we're describing, I think you could probably just say it in this way, just the uniqueness of Jesus's message, his character and who he is um, in comparison to anybody else, <laughs> you know, not just religious leaders, but anybody the uniqueness of Jesus, I think, again, is self-authenticating um, evidence of who he is. Yeah. And then the, 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 the last thing, um, well, we also, I think, the other thing we kind of threw in there that maybe could stand on its own is the fact that Christianity was not based upon the, the secret revelation of one person, uh, like Joseph Smith or Muhammad, which often, I think, is the... the the basis for many religion, uh, other religious sects and, and cult groups. Christianity was based upon the testimony of multiple people uh, uh, testifying to the same fact. So the disciples immediately, like right after Jesus's death and, and resurrection, they began to testify together that Jesus rose from the dead. It wasn't like one of the apostles went away and got this idea, this notion that, oh man, I could create this, this great religion if I, began to convince people that Jesus rose from the dead. They all thought they saw him. They were all convinced that they saw him. That More just, than 500 people. Yeah. That would, and it's so different than the, the, the origins, the origins of, of like Mormonism or, or, or groups like that. So the last thing that let's talk about this. And then if you guys are in the comments and you have questions, ask them. I've, I've, I know I've seen a couple questions come up and a couple um, challenges, even to things we're saying that I've, put down. So kind of, uh, we're going to say one more point and then we're going to try to get to a couple comments and respond to that for the last section here. But, um, the last thing I want to talk about that I think that I see that has been a consistent, even more so lately encouragement and reminder of the truthfulness of Jesus, the person of Jesus and the person of Christianity is I've seen real life change, heart transformation change and people who are following Jesus. I see a unique uh, goodness, truthfulness, love, kindness that comes out of people that are sincerely following Jesus. And I know yeah. many, but immediately maybe one response would be, well, I've been in churches and I've not seen that. You know, I've, I've been in certain churches and I've seen the exact opposite. So I'm not whitewashing and saying that anybody who claims to follow Jesus has a unique 
uh, uh, life change aspect to them. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I've seen the reality in those who I believe are truly following Jesus. Um, I, I see a unique fruit, I would call it, uh, that, that result in that. And I think, going back to what we started this out with, your testimony, you can probably testify to that. The transformation in your life, the transformation in your thinking that's resulted uh, after you begin to oh, follow yeah. Jesus. So maybe speak, let's, let's try to keep this short so we can get to, to the, the questions, but maybe real quick speak into that. Uh, I just want to say first off that you, you, you do these interviews a lot, so forgive me if I'm not very good at, at doing them, or you at least know what you're doing. Oh, no, you're, um, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> We're all learning. I just want to put that out there. The whole um, world right now is kind of learning how to do live interviews and stuff, so. Yeah, um, I guess I just want to up front, but yeah, man, I mean, more than anything, my heart's changed. I mean, I didn't grow up with a dad. I didn't grow up with a mom. I was sexually abused growing up. Um, I lived in a very manipulative home. Drugs surrounded me, everything. I mean, my life was a disaster. And not only that, but I was, I mean, I was, yeah. I don't even know. I don't even know. How to, when, when you say that I was lost and now I'm found, I was blind, but now I see, like, it's a, it's a different world for me to recognize that, that my heart's changed. I love now and yeah, I don't even I don't even know how to explain that. Yep. It's something supernatural. And so do you think I don't know. I, I I would say more than anything else that there that Jesus is alive and real and he lives in me and he's powerful and he changes hearts and he wants a relationship with with his creation. He he did not just come to die and to rise again so that he could start this new movement. He came to die and live in you and in me. And he wants relationship and fellowship. He didn't create this world in vain, hmm. scripture says. Um you know, he, he wants that. Really, our enemy is not, um, you know, I think for me, the biggest thing that I've recognized in my life is that, you know, there's only one name that demons submit to. You know, I, I before becoming a believer, I was held captive by Satan. I was held captive by evil spirits. I was held captive by demonic powers. Um, you know, I was enslaved. And when I came to Jesus, I mean, he set me free. He literally delivered me like like somebody being delivered by a demon possessed man or some a demon possessed man being delivered. That's how Jesus delivered me. I mean, I, I, I was. Yeah. I don't even know. And do you think psychologically, I, I, let me just put it this way. I when I graduated high school after getting kicked out of high school three times, the newspaper article in Orange County Post in California ran an article for me telling me that I was the least likely person to graduate high school. Wow. And I should have been imprisoned. So that's I mean a, that's, that's a good like morale the, boost. <laughs> when I got no, I'm not. I know it's kind of funny because it's like what you know. Actually, I tell some people that they say that's sad, but uh, you know, it reminds me of that. And then two two just keystone things for me that hit me is after I became a believer. You know, I I got hit by a drunk driver. He hit my car and almost like almost killed me. He didn't. I didn't get hurt or anything. But one second into my car, he slammed up the side of my my vehicle. Um, and, uh, and basically took off the scrape of the car. So I chased him down and I was trying to tell him about the love of Jesus. The guy was belligerent drunk. And, you know, I was like wrestling with calling the cops and I had the Holy Spirit's conviction telling me like, you're not going to let this guy drive away because he's going to end up doing it to somebody else. So I called the cops and, um, and, uh, there was an Asian cop that showed up and, uh, he, he was talking to me. He's like, I know you from somewhere. And I had been, I've been arrested many times. Um, and, my brother's been arrested a lot of times too. And specifically in Westminster, this city that I was in. 
And, uh, and I, I told the officer, I, like, I don't know, you might be thinking of my brother. He's like, no, I, I know you. He's like, you were in the newspaper. He's like, what happened to you, man? He's like, what happened? I arrested you before. I don't remember that, but so this um, this was a police officer asking you this. This is a police officer, dude. Yeah, and he goes, what happened to you? Like he he knew. I did, it, it shocked me. He's like, what happened to you? I mean, if I were to show you a picture of what I looked like when I was when I was eighteen, because I walked away from the Lord for like a year, um, and that's a different story. Uh-huh. Um, the Lord used that great. I was still saved. I just I was in rebellion. I mean, I lived in a messed up home, but. Uh, nonetheless i was god's child at that point but this police officer was talking he's like what happened to you and i just like it hit me where i was like wow and i thought this is jesus he changed my life and the officer just kind of looked at me like wow he was bewildered he didn't know what to say and we talked about it and he arrested the guy and i went home but wow. it was just like a That's it was awesome. in my face type of thing yeah. like what a he knew what a great yeah what a great story to summarize this point that yeah. yeah, again, that the the life change, the life transformation that I see, and again, I'm I'm making a distinction between I, I get it that there's a lot of religious people who claim to believe in Jesus and you see bad fruit. You see the opposite of what you think should result from a person who's really following Jesus. So I'm not whitewashing saying everybody who claims to believe in Jesus, you see this amazing transfer, transformation. But I'm saying that I, when you look, there is a real transformation that happens when there is. Um, I, and again, I believe there's a distinction between real faith in Jesus and not. And so when you see real faith in Jesus operating, I think you see a real transformation that is so real and so vivid that you have situations like you're talking about, Michael, where you have people who have seen you in the past and now they see the way you are now and they're saying, what happened to you? Um, and this is like just a, a plug for our our movie that we just made. But the the, the story of Bill, this guy who had, a, a in a lot of ways, a similar story of you. Uh, living in drug addiction and violence and and uh, things like that for decades of his life, but when you encounter Jesus in a real way, it impacts you. It changes you. It changes your heart. And so, evidence for me of the reality of Jesus, the reality of Christianity, why I believe that it's the best explanation of this world we live in, is because I see a a real the real existence of life change in people who experience Jesus in a real way. Yeah. I, I see yeah. the existence of experiences like you're talking about where people see you who have known you in their past and they're shocked at the, the difference they see. And it's Romans 12. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's a reality that happens. And so I think the fact that we can see that, the fact that we can see that take place in the world, to me, that uh, and not only that we see the reality of actual goodness and love and truth and transformation in people, but the fact that I can see the opposite of that, like I see such a contrast in those who don't have that, um, that tells me that, man, Jesus is real. And, and, and yeah. that's an, that there's enough evidence for me to say I'm, I'm giving my life to this, this man, this person, because I believe that's the, best, that's the best explanation of what I see in reality. That's the best explanation of, of uh, uh, yeah, my experiences in life. Um, I see my experiences in life line up so well with what Jesus taught about sin, about judgment, about righteousness. And so, yeah, that's, yeah. yeah. And I would just, I would just say real quick, like, just because you're in, in religiosity doesn't mean 
you know, Jesus made it clear, like, like there's precedence to believe, like, you know, well, I've been it to, to use that as an excuse. Like I've been in churches and, you know, I've seen people not changed and stuff like that. Well, you know, the Bible talks about that. And so, I mean, if you read the word, you'll find out that Jesus clearly distincts that that's going to be the case. In fact, the Pharisees of the first century were those people. And so, um, you know, they recognize that. That's why it's like, you know, you have the, the Pharisee and the sinner that are standing before the temple of God and one comes before him and he and he's boasting of his righteousness. And he's saying, you know, I thank you, God, that, you know, I'm not this and I'm not that. And I tithe twice a week and you know i give a tenth of human and all these things and he's like boasting of his righteousness before the lord and then there's this sinner that's sitting next to him and he's beating his chest and you yep. can't even look up the head and he says god forgive me for i'm a sinner and god, jesus uses that parable literally saying who do you think's going to leave justified the man who's boasting of his righteousness or the man who recognizes his desperation before the lord and uh so um you know so so that's where when you come before the Lord, he wants a contrite heart. He yep. wants a broken heart that want that will come before him and recognize. That's what do, you want to wait. You want to move God. You want you want God to come near you. Let your heart be broken before him. Let let your heart come before a holy God and recognize how desperate you are before him. That will move his heart more than anything because he's compassionate. Yep. And he's loving and he's a forgiving God. He moves towards that immediately because he recognizes, here's somebody I can use, somebody who's broken and contrite, somebody who comes before me with, with a with a poor spirit. I want to fill that man. I want to fill that woman because that's the man and woman that I love because now I can glorify myself in him. Now he can be a true image bearer, which we were supposed to be in the beginning. Now, now I can bear my image through that man because it's a humble man who will humble himself before me. I want to use that man. Hmm. Not this man who goes, you know, I, 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 you know, I keep Passover. I do these things. I, blah, 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 whatever, you know, it's somebody who can come before the Lord and recognize that. And for it's, me, it's, that's, it's a, rec- I, it's a recognition, right? That I'm not, I'm not getting it done. That's, I just read that this morning, actually, that story you're talking about. And that's, that was the key distinction. Did you really? Yeah, I did between the, and I was thinking about it, like, man, that's such a good, it just gets at the core of what the gospel is. The distinction being made between the Pharisee who's convinced that they are getting it done, that they're, they're by what they're doing, by their activities, their religious activities, they think they are attaining righteousness. And they're, they're in this, this mindset where he's thinking God saying, thank you that I, I don't do this. I don't do that. I don't do the other, you know, and all the while the, the guy who's justified is the one who realizes, man, yeah, I'm, I might be striving to obey God. I might be doing the things that I think I need to be doing to follow him. But I see in my heart that I'm falling short. And I think that's what God wants from us. He wants that. It says in first John one, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just forgive us. And confession is simply you're agreeing with what God says. you you look at your state, you look at your sin, you look at who you are and you say about yourself, what God says about you, that you need him. You need his grace. You need his mercy. You need his help. And like you're saying, that's the one who, God looks at it. And I think, again, yeah, that that is the, again, I think we're going back to, like, that's the message that stands in contrast to other religions. But, you know, I think ultimately what we're talking about here, the, the just the transformation when you receive that message, when you, you, when you begin to relate to God on that basis, the basis of grace, the transformation, the real life transformation that you begin to see in people. And so um, with that, um, let's... Um, 
I'm going to go. I could talk about Jesus all day. Oh, I know you could, dude. We both could. <laughs> Let's, I'm going to go to the comments. I'm just going to see um, if there's anything um, being said. That There's there's a couple. Uh, first, first, here's a question we got a while back, and this person probably is, is no longer on the live stream, but I think it might be um, something that we could answer. So um, let me see if I can find it here. Here it is. Okay, so here's the question, Michael. They said, do you feel it's dangerous to use logical arguments slash philosophical apologetics to evangelize unbelievers? Should we rely more heavily on scripture rather than these kinds of apologetics? I think it's a both end. I mean, it just depends on where you're at. If you're trying to set up a system carrying the gospel, um, then it's foolish. I yeah. mean, to answer one a one and done thing, like there's a there's a methodology for everything. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think if if God has given you apologetics and you're talking to somebody who's searching for answers, then use them. You know, the proclamation of the always proclaim the gospel, but I would also say that it's not wrong testifying of creation. Day unto day, Scripture says, Psalm 19, utters forth speech and testifies of the glory of God. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God and the earth or the, the sky, his handiwork. And it's like, it's not wrong using apologetics. I think that our, yeah, I would just say that it's, it's be led by the Spirit. Uh, that's what I would say. Yes, if you have the Holy that's Spirit, actually what, yeah, that's kind of the simple answer I think you give is, it, yeah, be led by the Spirit. Just be in tune with what God's doing as you're witnessing, be in prayer, and and uh, make sure. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah, it just reminds me, like Paul on Mars Hill, like he talks about the unknown God that's yeah. there. And he goes on and talks about the, their own philosopher, you know, in him we live and move and have our being. And he's like using their own philosophy. And I don't see there anything wrong with that. But I also don't see there's anything wrong with, you know, talking to somebody clearly testifying. I think the Holy Spirit, we, we don't, you know, we all sometimes pray like Holy Spirit convict that person. And, you know, when we pray that and that's fine that we, we can pray that. But, you know, the promise of scripture is that the Holy Spirit's already convicting that yeah. person. So, it's, so it's we, don't more about, to, we don't have to pray that. It's kind of like Jesus said, huh? like I, he says, and I only do what I see the father doing. So it's, it's just, man, this does just kind of go in circles and tie back to what we've already talked about. The fact that God's already working on everybody. And so I think in evangelism, evangelism isn't about going and trying to get this project started on a person, you know, like, like I need to begin to begin a work on somebody like God is already doing a work. And so it's, it's more about, you have to be in tune with the spirit, listening to what the father is doing, getting in tune with that, getting in step with that. And then you can speak into what God is already doing. And so, yeah, that's going to yeah. be a much more, obviously <laughs> that is the only evangelical method I think is, yeah. And it and might sound overly simplistic, I but I think it is true. It's just walking. You got to walk in the spirit. You got to walk in the spirit. Be in and tune I think, with what's uh, going on in that person. Yeah, and, and where to where to uh, preach Christ crucified? I mean, at the end of the day, if you're sharing apologetics to to win a debate on creation or to win a debate, it's Christ crucified. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Like there's, there's no message to be preached, but we preach Christ. We yeah. preach Christ and, and him crucified for our sins to the, to the Jews, a stumbling block because he, he exceeds their definition of righteousness and to the, to the Gentiles, uh, foolishness, because why would God enter into creation and die for our sins? Yeah. It's foolish to the Jews and to the Greeks. It's foolish, but to, but to us, to those who believe wisdom, the power of God. So the next, power. next 
question is from uh, somebody I don't know. You might know this guy. Um, he looks like a lunatic, Jesse McVeigh. Um, he asked the question earlier. That was a joke. <laughs> Jesse McVeigh was in the comments earlier. He, he asked, uh, did you get into the studying of the historical Jesus and truthfulness of the Bible on your own interest or because of other worldview truth claims? Hmm. Um, you know, my, my, and we talked about this before, uh, before we got on real quick, I, how I said, you know, apologetics is for the believer mainly. Um, I think it helps the unbeliever, but it encourages our faith. I mean, like, like somebody who says the Bible has been translated over and over and over and over again. And, you know, how do you know what the original text is? Well, we can go back to the first century and we can go all the way to 45 AD and prove, provably we have, you know, the, the gospel of Mark that's written around 45 AD. I mean, it's proven from whether or not you're a creation, whether you're a believer in Jesus or not, you can't deny it. It was written then. And so we have firsthand account evidence of scripture. And so I think some of the things was cause I was looking into certain things and some of it's just cause it fascinates me. I mean, you know, how awesome is it that God testifies himself, you know, whether it's through a mommy's, a mummy in Egypt who was wrapped in, you know, in papyrus and you can find script, scripture written on this guy, um, you know, or you can go into, you know, libraries in, in Alexandria or other places and stuff and you can find scripture. Like, I think it's not a one or like a one or I think it comes with preaching of the gospel, um, you know, the, the testimony. That's why Paul in First Corinthians 15 says, you know, I declare this first unto you that Jesus died according to the scriptures. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and you hear according to the scriptures. Um, these were all testimonies that validified the, the scriptures, um, the Old Testament. And so, uh, you know, I think it it's a one, it's not a one and done thing for me. I think sometimes there's things that intrigue me that I study where I hear some other worldview. And I think sometimes it's just because. I'm reading my Bible and I'm curious. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I guess I don't, I don't know how to answer that question. Yeah, other than that's okay. That was a good answer. So uh, a couple more. So here's a comment that we got from Severina cat. Um, and as I'm looking at the comments, it looks like this person is a former member of the world mission society church of God. So I'm glad she's gotten out, but we love you. They said, uh, I don't know if this is a, he or a she, but they said, uh, you all seem to think everyone, but you is in a cult wink face. Um, and so I just, I guess to respond to that, like, I don't, if we've said anything to convey that, like, that's not what we believe. We don't, that's not what we're trying to communicate. Um, I believe there are a lot of cults. <laughs> There's a lot of groups out there. Uh, I, I would just, um, say the WMSCOG is a cult. I would say that emphatically. I'd say that without hesitation. Um, they're literally worshiping a, a Korean woman, uh, in South Korea, uh, they're worshiping as God and a Korean man who has been dead for decades. Um, and so I believe there's absolutely zero evidence for the claims they make. And further than that, I believe there's dangerous contradictions that take place in their doctrine uh, concerning the gospel and, and what God we worship and what that looks like. And so, so yeah, I don't, um, if we're coming across as saying everybody but us is, is uh, wrong, that's not what we're trying to communicate. I, I, you know, I think of James where James talks about teachers and he says we all stumble at many points. And I'm aware there's probably things we're going to have to adjust in in the future and like shifting our views. And like, I don't have this all figured out. Um, and so I um, I get that there's um, 
different, there's people that think differently. We talk a, a lot. There's different denominations in the church, and I don't think they're cults. I don't think every other denomination is a cult. Um, I myself don't personally belong to a denomination, um, but uh, yeah, I don't believe that we in Great Light Studios, I guess, if you want to put it in that category, is the one true church or that our, our, our group is the one true church and we're the only ones who have it figured out. So again, if we've communicated that, I apologize. That's not our intention whatsoever. And uh, that's not our heart or what we believe. Um, yeah. So the definition of a cult is where is getting Jesus wrong. Is getting Jesus wrong. Yep. Getting Jesus wrong. You get Jesus wrong, you're in a cult. Yep. And that's the goal is to mar the image of Jesus. Yep. Because he's the express image, the exact representation, the glory of God in person. And so when you when you destroy who Jesus is, then you're in a cult. Yep. And that, that for me is whether you're a Calvinist or a Minionist or you know if you you know you disagree on secondary doctrines that's that's not that's for you and the lord and take that to prayer and 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 you know be humble on that but you know for me my dying on the hill is who jesus is yep and that's where yeah um and the clear representation of the historic jesus of who he is and what he claimed yep. to be god and human flesh creator there's no so yeah i just uh, even if i could just say real quick like the whole idea you know, it's hard for us. We're trying to wrap up God in a concept where we're trying to, like, even if I'm correct, right, they believe in a mother God and a father God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they kind of had sex and ended up, you know, which is not far from Mormonism. It's the same exact idea, basically, of Mormonism, which is a cult. Um, you know, the, what we're trying to do is we're trying to bring God down into humanistic understanding. And when God does it, it's okay. But when we try and do it outside of scripture, it's not okay. And God is ever eternal. He's completely separate and distinct from all of creation. He has no beginning. He has no end. He has no need. He's not contingent to anything. He's completely separate, supreme, and completely, he does not need anything in creation. He doesn't need sex. He doesn't need, he's not, he's, he created sex for us in order to procreate. The angels are not even supposed to have sex. Scripture says in Luke 18. So if that's the heaven beings that's a different dimension a different realm so for us god created that because he wanted to populate the earth to bring about future people in order to have fellowship with and in order to demonstrate his love and so when we begin to mar that and, and, and destroy that image what clear-cut scripture and historic scripture um and historic belief is that's when you say that's a cult that's not the true belief yep. of who god is so. so every group besides us is not a cult just those who more the truth about who Jesus is, um, which there's many groups like the WMSCOG where it's just clear that that's what they do. Um, and so uh, there's a question here we just got asked, um, and we're not going to, we won't, I don't want to go too much longer. We're almost at two hours, um, so we'll try to wrap up here soon. But uh, we got a question. Somebody asked, how is it like Mormonism? So how, I think you mentioned that um, the WMSCOG is like Mormonism. And I think what you were getting at is just the fact of, of there being a, a mother and father God and the, the, uh, the relationship between them. But maybe, maybe answer that real quick. Yeah. So Mormonism, the idea is that there's this God in heaven that's having sex continuously and propagating babies on this earth. So every every birth that takes place, the essence of Mormonism is that every birth that takes place is a a baby that was done from heaven through the Mormon God who's populating the earth because this is his world. And so if you are believing the Mormon faith, 
then essentially if you are obedient to the to the credence of Mormonism, then you go and you become a god, and then you get to have all the sex that you want with a bunch of women that populate your 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 heaven, and then you get to populate a heaven. You get to populate a earth with all the babies that you have sex with, or not all the babies. Sorry, excuse me. All the all the yeah. all the women that you have sex with, you get to populate an earth and have babies, yeah. and so you have all these baby spirit beings, and so every basically every human being that's born, we believe in in in. in uh, you know, I can't remember the word, but at conception, you know, there's this where the spirit meets the body that God gives the body at conception when the sperm meets the egg, a spirit. And so that being is a spiritual person with a body and that body develops, but that spirit is is there immediately at conception. And so when that takes place, that baby develops and everything. Well, the idea behind the Mormon doctrine is that when that baby was born, that the Mormon God was having sex with a woman and sent a spirit into that baby um, in order to to basically um, populate this earth. And so it's this idea between a mother God and a, and a father God. Yeah, it'd be, um, it'd be interesting to dig into a little bit more, like to pull up some of the actual like written down doctrines of Mormonism um, and compare them to things about... Because I know the WMSCOG has doctrines that I haven't looked into a ton about how... Uh, we uh, human beings, I believe the doctrine is that we were before before we were on earth, we were angels, maybe, or we had sinned in heaven until we were sent here to the earth um, is a belief. And, and there's yeah, I don't know. There's That's just, Mormonism. there's some strange things, yeah, that are that are comparable. And I think ultimately, maybe to sum this up is, is just the one of the main comparisons just goes back to what is their gospel message. And as a message, the WMSCOG and the the, the and Mormons both uh, one, they distort the reality of who Jesus is. They re- they distort uh, the truth about who God is, what what God is like. You know, they they literally will go as far as saying God was once a, a human being, man who had to work his way by obedience and keeping commands. He worked his way to godhood, to being the deity that he is, and and their belief is that we can do that too one day. And so, all that to say. The, the way the WMSCOG and the way that Mormonism distorts who God is, the truth of who the true living God is, that's a big comparison between the two. And then ultimately, I would say the, the, the false gospel message, the message of works-based salvation um, that both of them um, adhere to is another big similarity. And so I think um, <clears throat> maybe just the one, one last thing I'm going to say uh, here is just somebody asked, when we're going to do another interview with current members or, or former members. Um, we're in talks. There's been multiple people, multiple, I think, members on the comments of these videos saying they want to share or they want to talk. And so I've tried to reach out and trying to get in contact with some of these people to see if they would come on one of the live streams, talk with us. Um, and I'm also trying to get in contact with Ray again to see if he would come on because we want to, yeah, we'd like to keep the conversation going with current members. I think that's helpful. Um, and, and, uh, and yeah, it's just helpful for, for both former and current members. And, um, so it, again, we're extending that offer to you and, uh, we don't have one scheduled yet. We're probably going to, the plan is next week sometime and we won't do Tuesday again. Cause I know now I've learned that there's, uh, you know, members meet on Tuesday night. So we'll probably do, uh, maybe, uh, I don't know. We'll figure out another night next week to do that. So, um, yeah, Michael. Thank you so much for coming on. Can, can today. I? Yep. You, if, can I pray sure, real quick? Yes, I would love if you would 
let's just close out by you you praying and and uh, we'll call this a day. All right, Father in heaven, we love you and we thank you for who you are, immortal, sovereign, um, and awesome God. We just love you and we thank you for the salvation that we have in your Son Jesus. We thank you, God, that He is the the only begotten, the exact image, the 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 personification in human flesh of who you are, God. We just bless you and Lord. We pray for every person that listens to this. We pray for um, Lord those that are that are blinded. We pray the removal of the the. Lord, we just pray removal of the enemy's blinds, the enemy's lies against their mind. We pray, Lord, we recognize the strongholds and we just pray that you would tear them down and that you would bring them to salvation. Lord, it says that for freedom, Christ entered into the world to set us free. So we pray that they would not be yoked to a bond of slavery. And we also pray that, Lord, you would bring them in not to fear, but Lord, that you would welcome them in as your children. So we just pray that your ministry of the Holy Spirit would be upon them and leading them and guiding them. And Lord, if this would be a help to them, we thank you. But also, Lord, we just pray for your ministry in their hearts to take place. And we love you, God. We proclaim you, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. You alone reign supreme. We bless you. And we just thank you for this time. Amen. Amen. Thanks for coming on, Michael. Yeah, time. blessings, bro. Yep. Love you guys. You got something to say. That's it. All right. Love you, man. Bye.